Kairos. This is your moment. Liberty is not man's idea, it's God's idea. We must participate in the public square. This is a moment in time that will define history as we know it. The furtherance of America as we know it. That's a powerful gift, freedom. And we're not going to bow to tyranny. This isn't me standing, it's us. This is the moment for the body of Christ. We pray that there would be an awakening and a revival in the nation. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy Wednesday evening, everybody. Uh, tonight is going to be very special. My longest Christian friend. This is the first Christian friend I ever had. I uh, went through childhood with him, and uh, he came to know the Lord, and then I came to know the Lord, and looking for fellowship, he was the very first one that would counsel and encourage and be a blessing, and it's no wonder that he went on to start a ministry where his life revolves around biblical counseling and encouraging others, and he's a man with great wisdom. He's been on our program before. He's a great blessing, and we're going to cover some topics tonight, but Really, we're going to do something for the first time. We've never done it before. We're going to provide a, a number that you can text or, or send a, a question into this number. And uh, my friend and I will do our best to provide biblical counseling and answer this for you. The number is 805-507-5617. Uh, any topic you want. And, of course, we're going to screen them because there's going to be some possible knuckleheads out there trying to bait us, but uh, we'll work through that. But we're going to do our best to answer any questions you have and uh, use Scripture to do it. My friend tonight is uh, Mark Baker, and uh, Mark and I grew up in Coronado, California. He uh, grew up in a single-parent family and went through some struggles in his life. And when I came to Christ, I was really blessed to have someone with such great wisdom to help navigate me through some seasons in my life. And then uh, we had the privilege to serve together in San Jose, California. And then Mark went on to uh, Fresno, California, where he began a ministry called Hope for Life, where he provides uh, faith-based or, or biblical counseling, and he, he does it by donation. And he, has, he and his wife have had the privilege to minister to countless people, and his insights are phenomenal, and the blessings that he has provided for that community have been nothing short of extraordinary. So please welcome my longest Christian friend, and he doesn't look my age because he's retained his youth, but he is my age. He's a little bit younger, but not by much. Please welcome Mark Baker. Mark, welcome to the program. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Thanks for that <laughs> intro. Very sweet. <laughs> well, you, you do look uh, younger than I do. Maybe it's because uh, you have a really cool way of uh, making your hair look so young. Yes, yes. <laughs> All the cool kids are doing yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, I'm I'm working on. It. I've got the M from McCoy, and the yeah, but I I, don't, I just don't I don't have a good enough looking head. As a matter of fact, when I was a swimmer, as you remember, I wouldn't shave my head like a lot of the guys would because I just got this. Uh, it's just it's it's a scary looking forehead. Only people that have beautiful heads are, can shave them, and well, you've succeeded. So well done. Hey, um, Mark, I I want to go through uh, I want to go through some topics, and you know especially. Fresno's been in the crosshairs here uh, on a number of issues, and we've been tracking some of the stuff that 
has been coming across the newswire. Hey guys, thanks for watching. But I think also, in addition, that um, we, we've, we've seen California going through this perilous lockdown, and it is, it's created havoc for our young kids. I mean, we, we've had, in Santa Clara County, 14,000 calls go unanswered to the crisis hotline, and, and they're, they've got $2 million in fines upon my, my good friend Mike McClure. They're shutting the churches down, calling them non-essential. While we're watching our, our young children decimated, 3 million students have just vanished from the rolls that no longer uh, uh, tune in to virtual education. They've just lost track of them. We're watching suicide prevention go through the roof. We're watching teen suicides uh, and here, your job and, and really your calling, and you've been doing this for a, a number of years, is to minister to folks who are really struggling. If you don't mind, before we get into some of the questions, could you, could you just share with everybody kind of the uptick you've seen in folks going through crisis as a result of these unprecedented, draconian, tyrannical lockdowns? Sure, sure. And, and as you know, as you know, you get a certain age, everybody knows life is hard. And then, you know, you have some episode or whatever, and that can just really put you over the top. But this is just huge and ongoing. And, you know, one of the things with suffering, if you will, if it's like, oh, we, you know what, this is going to be six weeks, six months, so this is gonna be hard, I'll suck it up. But this is indefinite. That's what makes it often hopeless, because there's no end in the sight. In fact, yeah, one of the the, the Greek word that's used in Second uh, Timothy 1, 8 and 9, where Paul's talking about his despair, he's, it's translated despair, it means to be utterly without a way. Mm. And that's really insightful because that's what happens when people are depressed, suicidal. They're, like, they're utterly without a way. I see no way out. And so when you when you don't have, when you start off with two weeks to, to flatten a curve or whatever, and that turns into two months, and then now we're almost at the year anniversary and it's no end in sight, it's like, there's no way out. That's how some people see it. And on top of whatever else they have, that's what pushes people over the edge. Well, we're going we're gonna to cover some clips tonight, especially how the government has approached this. And, and even listening to the president of the United States himself, it almost seems as though they are in, increasing this hopelessness by moving goalposts constantly and there doesn't seem to be a way out and, and people are becoming overwhelmed. And we know that uh, over a million eight hundred thousand signatures have been gathered for the recall of Governor Newsom, and now all of a sudden he seems motivated to reopen the schools. Uh, and and I I want to cover that tonight as well. We've got a really compelling clip of a of a little girl, and and it's it's going to cause a lot of folks to just it, it'll hit you in the feels. It's it's a it's a very moving clip, but I, I want to share with everybody that as you're going to be providing counseling tonight for anyone who would, would uh, send a, a text question in to us, this is a critical program. I mean, we started, Mark, with, I think, 20 subscribers over a year ago, and now we're uh, approaching 26,000 subscribers. We average about 8,000 views per episode. And, and I, I wanted to, to take a moment to do two things. One is to thank our viewers because you've made this program significant that many people across the country have been blessed. But secondly, if, if you want to support the, the program itself, the best way you can do it is to hit the bell there. And it's, it, it, what it does is it 
causes you to get a notification that we're going live. And the, the way that the algorithms work with YouTube is that when you guys comment in the comment section, it, it helps folks to become aware of the program and then also let friends know about the program. And, and that way we, we can get far more exposure. And then when we have guests like you, Mark, coming on, people can get their questions answered and also find hope and answers where it seems as though we find very little in the news. And the news seems to just perpetrate and, and continue this narrative of depression and fear. Would you agree or disagree? I already know the answer to the question, but I, I just thought I'd give you an opportunity to expound on it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's this kind of droning message of hopelessness and not really hope. And again, no end in sight and and everything, you know, when you when a person is objective and they're wanting the truth, but you know everything is skewed. It's you know, you you know, as a simple illustration, you go and you watch a ball game, a football game, and you're there, and then you watch the news later and it's what well, I was there. That never happened. What's well, kind of what's happening here with the news? It's you're, you know what's going on, but everything is skewed this way and this way and this way. And I don't know. I think maybe you have a, a clip of one of the a news anchor lady that I saw earlier. That's that's very telling. Yeah, she she's just she's done. She she was depressed and called it quits on Fox News. Uh, we may or may not show that one, but I I wanted what what came to mind, especially as we were opening. In Fresno, you had a police officer, a Fresno police officer, Paul Brown. He died of COVID, and uh, they they did a, an honor guard for him, uh, and and it was it was tragic. I think it's the second officer who's died of of COVID in your community, and Paul Brown uh, was my friend. He uh, we we participated in a uh, a Christian ministry at Fresno State together, along with Dave Brown, not related. Uh, and Paul went on to to be a, a career officer in the Fresno Police Department. He's about ready to retire and spend time with his wife. Now, I don't know about comorbidities. I don't know about anything like that. But they used his death to promote the vaccine and and to instill even more draconian lockdown and fear. And I I I, I was saddened to see that, especially for a friend of mine. And I'm sad to see his life end up, you know, falling prey to COVID and dying, it, it breaks my heart. But, but what's even more frustrating is we've had 500 children in California drown in bathtubs. And, and how many kids have died of COVID, 18 and under, and yet every school's been shuttered and closed? What is the psychological ramifications on children when something like that happens? What, what, what are the parents talking about? Have you, have you had a chance to communicate with them and see this? Yeah, somewhat. And, you know, I just, last person I met with today was a sweet 17-year-old girl that just, you know, beside herself, a lot of depression. And um, and so when when people, again, they're overwhelmed with things and they're, they're not giving some concrete hope, there's not something they can do. And when they're kind of given the runaround and it, it just takes a toll and people can endure for a while and in fact that's what again back to that message is as you know paul said we were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired even of life indeed our hearts in our hearts we felt the sentence of death and that's so that's that that's paul the apostle and his companions and you know if you're talking about a, a an eight-year-old kid or a five-year-old or 
or what have you that and, and you're inside all the time and that just and you know the people talk about seasonal depression like in washington state or other places where there's not a lot of sunshine well how much more when you're just everybody's locked down and we're not going to know the impact we'll n probably never know it's not going to be quantified somehow and say this is what happened this was happened and it's it's horrible on so many different levels that we all have to go through this you know, uh, Fox News posted some statistics, Mark, where children's mental health care needs have skyrocketed under COVID. 90.7% increase in intentional self-harm. There's been a 94.9% increase in overdose substance abuse in kids ages 13 to 18. And also, as I said earlier, uh, approximately 3 million children uh, K through 12 have simply fallen off the grid. They've, they've just disappeared. They're not showing up for online or in-person instruction, and their whereabouts are unknown to school officials. Those numbers are staggering. And I met with a CEO of a healthcare company. I went to dinner. Uh, my wife and I went to dinner with uh, he and his wife. And they're a little bit pro-pharma. Uh, they, they're obviously in the healthcare industry. And I had commented about the, the mental and psychological anguish and because they're privy to all the statistics as, of course, they're you know, neck deep in, in the vaccination industry and the things. And they said what's coming across their desk and what they're seeing is frightening and overwhelming. And I, I'm just thinking to myself, uh, you know, children are unable uh, to connect or engage. They don't have any community even more so for adults, and, and that's, that's just troubling and it's burdening. And here we are in California, and the governor of our state, Governor Newsom, who's facing a recall, businesses devastated, schools shuttered, and he comes out against Governor DeSantis and, and Governor Abbott, who's opened his state, removed the masks, and, and then you have the President of the United States calling them Neanderthals for uh, opening their states. And yet, I, I personally think that Governor DeSantis should be Governor of the Year, and, and maybe even Christy Nome in South Carol or South uh, South Dakota, uh, because of the stance she's taken. Uh, it, it's troubling, and I, I'm I'm thinking, Mark, with those statistics of self harm and what these children are doing, how much more are we going to need to be prepared to counsel them? And it almost seems as though. Nobody's even addressing this. Are, are you seeing this being addressed in the Fresno area, Fresno County, a concern for the mental, uh, the psychological and emotional well-being of the children? Well, I know that there is that definitely that concern. I don't know how much is being addressed, but I, I think, you know, again, one of those things we're going to see is that the kids that are able to socialize, whether some are able to go to school and some are not, there's just going to be a the fruit in their life is going to be different or some people are able to go to church you know our kids are able to go to a, a youth group and and church and that kind of stuff and i think adults kids are going to that's going to be huge a huge difference as each week or month goes by but also you know going to school and we we kind of saw my wife more saw the, the handwriting on the wall with all of this and so we we even li literally took a loan out to make sure we could send our kids to a school that was going to be uh, open and uh, I think our kids are very happy and, and thankful for that. But if they hadn't, if they would be at home. I remember the first few months where they had to be, and it was just kind of sitting there and, you know, lifeless and that kind of stuff. So I think that's going to be 
uh, a huge factor, the difference between the two. As far as the, the, the concern, people are concerned, but, you know, what are you going to do? And who's going to yeah. back it? The, the government, you know, a lot of these government uh, governors or uh, whatnot that are shutting down and keeping that, they're just going to double down. They're not going to say, okay, we were wrong. Oh, this, if, if, if there's going to be a, a study, a perfect study that everybody agrees upon, they're not, they're going to double down, I believe, and say, yeah. no, we, we did the right thing. We did the right thing. Even though if there's uh, clear evidence, which there already is, but you know what I mean. Well, we're watching, as I said earlier, uh, 1.8 million signatures for the recall of Governor Newsom. And now all of a sudden he's talking about reopening the schools in California. But, you know, Governor DeSantis, who you look at the statistics and he's had great success in his state. Here's a clip where he is fighting for parents and children uh, for in-person schooling. I want to show you this clip, and then I'm going to I'm going to show our viewers another clip of this young girl receiving amazing news. But I I want to show Governor DeSantis first, and then we'll uh, talk a little bit, and I'll take you to the second clip. But take a look at Governor DeSantis on this interview, contending for in-person schooling for uh, for parents and for their children. Mark in Florida, every Florida parent has the right to send their kid to in-person instruction, and that's. Uh, the typical school districts, the public schools, our charter schools, and our private schools. Now we give the parent the option to opt for virtual, but fewer and fewer of them are opting for that every single day. And I think this is a, a really seminal issue of this whole thing. Where did you come down on the schools? Because you hear people on the left always say that they, quote, believe in science. And yet these are the same people who are fighting to keep schools closed. But it's all about the science, and yet this makes no sense. The, the survival rate for 18 and under, why we're shuttering schools with a virus that has a 99% survival rate, and they say, well, we're concerned with grandma. Well, anyone who's 65 and older with comorbidities, then let's, let's quarantine the ones who are at risk, but why are we allowing the children to suffer and the parents as well? Any comment on that, Mark? Well, I think, you know, one of the things, it, I, I call it selective science, and they can claim yeah. science, anyone can claim science, but it's selective, like, well, I'll pick that research, or I'll pick that one, and I'll deny that one, I'll, I'll, I'll you know, that kind of stuff, and so you can still claim science, but it's not really science, because science is, takes everything, and it's objectivity, it's not bias, it doesn't have an agenda in theory, uh, but when we are biased and we have an agenda, and, and there's definitely power involved in, in this I know kind of be a little conspiratorial, but when people are in government, right or left, they want power. But if leftism is mainly about power, that is what it's all about. And, you know, you and I uh, send some things back and forth about critical race theory and, and Marxism. We talked about that last time. It's all about power. And I'm not saying this is that exactly, but that's when that's behind it, you're not going to go, oh, huh, yeah, that's those facts are right. And, oh, I'm going to change my mind. It's still what has to fit the narrative so I can maintain power or increase power. That's a good word. Let's, let's, uh, let's take a look at this next clip, and then we, we're getting some questions in from our viewers. But let's, let's take a look at this next clip. It's, it's of a, a little girl receiving some amazing news. Now, mind you, we're one year into this lockdown of a two-week flatten the curve. My son was uh, a senior. He didn't get to graduate with all of his classmates. Uh, they, they didn't have a prom. I mean, all of it was taken. And, uh, and then, you know, you've got kids that have been out of school for an entire year. Uh, no, 
no social socializing, nothing. They've been sequestered, some of them abused and, and being quarantined with their abusers. And then you, you see this happen, and it was so touching. Uh, watch this little girl. She receives this amazing news. Go ahead and play this clip, if you would. touching uh, and, yeah it was precious I I think that's a good segue uh, to ask this next question because and, and as I was reading it <clears throat> it kind of hit me that th this seems to be so unmerited what we're doing to our children and this viewer says hi I have lots of friends who are looking forward to the, to the day that COVID is gone whether it be vaccines or herd immunity. And I just feel like it's never going to go away. It's going to be a new strain and a new strain and a new strain. Do you feel that COVID will ever go away? And if we will have a life back like we did in 2019? And I would say, and then Mark, you comment from your position, but I, I would say to our viewer, that all depends on how much we're going to let the government get away with. That's my take on it. Yeah, I mean, you know, for it to go away, or at least for the, the response to go away, there has to be a motivation and uh, a certain type of motivation. And again, we can be conspiratorial about it, but I, I think when people are in power and they see they use something as leverage and, you know, not everybody's nefarious and whatnot, but uh, what was uh, Rahm Emanuel's line, uh, never let a crisis go to waste. And yeah. If we can leverage this to get more power and so forth, and of course people are going to, 
and at the expense of other people? Absolutely. That's not unprecedented by any means. And again, I'm not saying people are thinking, I want to be evil and oppress people and all that, but they're kind of backward thinking or whatever. And, and we do need good leadership. I, I would say yes, starting in the church, but eventually people say, okay, enough is enough. And even, you know, we kind of sent some texts back and forth yesterday when we saw the thing about Texas and Mississippi. It's like, yay, finally. And my son said, let's move. <laughs> because yeah. he, he's a, you know, he's a, a junior. He's 16. He's been playing basketball. He's just looking forward to playing basketball for the past five years, just pouring his heart into it. And he's probably not going to get the play. And his junior year, and then next year, will he even get to play? Then we're like, do we do we move to Texas? Do we move to Mississippi, Florida? What what are our options? Um, and we had a senior last year too that he was going along, and he was right in the middle of playing volleyball, and then played a few matches, and then gone, and no graduation, not, nothing. So yeah, it's I, I think people are going to take advantage of it. It it seems as though. If you if if you are conditioned to view your freedom as selfishness that you're killing grandma, although there's no data that that justifies that, and we pit neighbor against neighbor, uh, we we use this crisis as you were pointing out, Rahm Emanuel, and we don't let it go to waste. That we would declare abortion clinics essential, but not the church. We would violate the First Amendment. Uh, and, and it, it seems as though every projection that Dr. Fauci made never came to fruition. Everything that uh, uh, Mayor de Blasio or Governor Cuomo came up with never came to fruition. The, the fear tactics of Governor Newsom never came to fruition. Now, we've had deaths, but we've also seen a decrease in flu and pneumonia, uh, unprecedented in the history of the country. But if we're, we're talking the, the average... Uh, age of the victims of COVID, it's in the life expectancy of most Americans. But what about the children who've committed suicide? How much of their life expectancy have we taken from them? With that young girl in that clip, what have we done to her psychologically and emotionally? And you, you see a clip here uh, from uh, Governor Christy Nome, who I think is in contention with Governor Ron DeSantis as Governor of the Year or America's Governor. I think we'll just make them uh, America's governor and lieutenant governor, and pick either one because they're both amazing. But she's talking about what Dr. Fauci told her in regards to her state. And uh, here's a clip. L take a look at this, Mark. It's it's fascinating. We've showed it once, but it's it's worth repeating. Take a look at uh, Governor Christine Nome. We never focused on the case numbers. Instead, we kept our eye on hospital capacity. Now, Dr. Fauci. He told me that on my worst day, I'd have 10,000 patients in the hospital. On our worst day, we had a little over 600. I don't, I don't know if you agree with me, but Dr. Fauci is wrong a lot. Our, our, our doctor, our health officer here in our own county had projected death rates and hospitalizations far exceeding anything that we've experienced. And, and yet, the, Governor uh, Christy Nome has been picked on uh, vehemently by the, the news media, and so has Ron DeSantis. And yet, um, nothing outstanding in their death rates that exceed anything else across the country. I think she's pretty remarkable, and I also think Governor DeSantis is. you have thoughts on that or comments? No, I just... 
very impressed and I have been for months with both of them and just being able to, you know, we, you need people to go against the crowd. You need people to break through any group think or what have you and say, wait a minute, what's going on here? And are you even, let's, let's not just stay the court. Let's try something different, whatever it is, but because this can't continue the way it is because, you know, the, the cost that we're going to see the destruction is trailing behind. We're seeing it too, but it's trailing behind. And if it were all the, open up today there would still be this wave of destruction that goes on for months or years that we're going to see in people's lives and economies and so forth and you know there's this every sickness or death is tragic but at the same time there's you're, you're replacing one for the other yes this is very real but on the other side other people are dying or suffering in other ways and but we, you get demonized if you say, well, let's look at this side as well as this side. No, no, no. We just need to shut down and no talking about it. And this this totalitarian echo chamber, as I call it, is that, no, there's no dissent, no correction allowed. This is it. And you're evil if you disagree. Rather than, you know, there's, you talk about scientists or just medical doctors, not just the ones that are known, but other doctors that are going, wait a minute, this is not right. So you have doctors on both sides. There's not this uh, consensus this uh, settled science at all, but it's not up for debate. If you're in control, you just shut people down. And, and that too, that alone has another side effect on people. There were 50,000 doctors that signed the Barrington Declaration saying that lockdowns aren't effective and completely dismissed by the media. If you have a frontline doctor or anyone who speaks differently than the narrative, they're, they're shut down on social media. Censorship is unlike anything I've seen in my lifetime, we're the same age. I, you agree, disagree? It's beyond, yeah, it's, it's, it's beyond censorship. It's, it's, you know, destroying people, canceling you. And, you know, they, if they find out, you know, something about you, me, the next person, they're just, how can we destroy that? And they will think they're doing something good. Right. And in, in John 16 too, I believe it is that, you know, it talks about the different thing that people are going to, turn you over to be killed and they'll think they're being doing God a favor. That's kind of where we are. We're not quite at the murder stage yet, but, but you know, it's everything goes when the end justifies the means and in their mind, we're just protecting people. And there's some truth, but a lot of lies are half truths. And, and that's how people fall for it. There is some truth. There's some good there, but we have to look at it totalitarian, not totalitarian, but the total of it and look at everything and weigh everything at the same time, rather than, we're focusing over this, but all these people are suffering, and especially kids, especially yeah. kids, as well as elderly people and their relationships. And you can't go see your mom or your grandparents or whatever because of these lockdowns. That has destructive outcomes. The elderly are dying alone. Families are mourning, and it's 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 terrible. And and when you talked about this hopelessness, where there doesn't seem to be an end in sight. This is, this is the President of the United States talking about when, th when, when he thinks things will get back to normal. And there is, there, there is nothing significant in his statement. It is just nebulous as can be. Listen to this clip, and then following this clip, uh, there's a CNN doctor who is uh, talking about how we're probably going to have to wear masks every fall. Uh, I... I, I <laughs> This is this is the dystopian nightmare of 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 the news media. Take a, we're going to do these clips back to back, and then I want to get to some questions with you, Mark, if you don't mind. Take a look at President Biden, and then we'll go to the CNN doctor. 
Listen, hang on. I've been cautioned not to give an answer to that because we don't know for sure. But my hope is by this time next year, we're going to be back to normal. And before that, my hope. But again, it depends upon if people continue, continue to be smart and understand that we still can have significant losses. There's a lot we have to do yet. is we figure out what flu strains have been circulating in places like Australia or South America, which sort of predicts what what strains are likely to come into our our country. There's been so little flu in those those two areas, I I think it's going to be hard for us to try and figure out what flu strains to pick. But you're right. If we mask and social distance every winter, we will see a dramatic reduction in flu, which usually causes hundreds of thousands of hospitalizations and tens of thousands of deaths. I wonder whether that will be the lesson uh, from this. Oh, it's just aggravating. It's sad. It's, it's, yeah. it's discouraging. And, you know, I don't want to, again, there's a real thing going on there, but at some point we need to say, okay, there's a risk. You know, we, we send people overseas. We do, there's a risk involved in a lot of things like driving your car, all of that. And at what point as a society, and, it is, and by the way, it's not all or nothing. We could just say, okay, you know, if you want to stay home, you do that and whatnot, and we'll do that. Let these people go to work and take the risk rather than, no, we're going to squelch it for everybody or say you're essential. You, we judge who's essential and what, rather than let people decide for themselves. There's a yeah. the, the freedom yeah. that you often like to talk about so much and right, rightly so. Well, I'm not the mask police and I'm not the social distance police. And, and if the governor wants to say that the church is non-essential and we're not allowed to worship, but he would say that abortion clinics are and cannabis distributors are and liquor stores are and real estate agents are and bicycle repair shops are, and he shutters the church, that's a violation of the First Amendment. And he's operating as a tyrant. So Romans 13 doesn't apply because Romans 13 says that he's appointed by God for our good. And if he's not doing good, he's not the authority. That's, that's Jonathan Mayhew. That is right out of the American Revolution. That is a minister that basically was attributed by John Adams as having started the American Revolution. So we, we have to push back against tyranny, especially when it violates our personal freedoms and our inalienable rights. People need community. I think this is a good segue to, because uh, a number of folks are, are texting, and here's a question. Uh, Hello, brothers. Uh, my name is, I'll leave it out, I'm wondering about the concept of homeless ministries enabling folks and then uh, uh, feed downstream from the said enablement, thus creating a feedback loop. Is there a corollary with government funding and possibly COVID? I think what he's alluding to is this idea that we create the monster by, we have the highest homeless rate in, in America, in California, the highest poverty rate. Uh, we have the highest taxes, so we're increasing the taxes, we're putting a greater burden on the populace and the citizenry, folks can't afford to survive, and then they find themselves homeless, and we're feeding them, which is a greater burden uh, on the government itself, wanting to do homeless ministries, and it, it, and it creates this spiral downward when and, and I, I made a comment to, a, to the largest church in California when we asked them why they weren't open. And their response was, our homeless ministries are open, our food pantry ministry is open, our counseling ministry is open, but we choose to not meet in person for services because we're concerned with our community. And then they said, and we're not a political church. And my comment was, yes, you are a political church. 
you choose by your silence to be complicit with the tyranny of the governor and then you create ministries to fish downstream for the human waste you help create by allowing the governor to implement these programs that are impoverishing and, and causing great homelessness and deprivation to our citizenry. We, we all have a role to play in this. And when you violate the laws of nature, nature's God, people suffer. And God judges governments. And, and I, I'm, I'm burdened by the fact that we do not participate in the ecclesia, the, the, the public square. And, and I, I think this guy has a valid question. Is it, is it like the in military industrial complex, complex? Is it like Big Pharma where you, you, you give the vaccination and the ancillary effect of the vaccination is where they make billions of dollars? Uh, you want to start wars in, in Syria and, and do rocket strikes so we can send troops in for that industrial war complex. Is it the same thing with homelessness? Are you tracking the man's question? I think so. And, you know, enabling, and that's an interesting term, and it's a valid term, you know, that we understand today. It's kind of a newer word, but uh, enabling just means in the pure sense, empowering. And we can empower in good ways or destructive ways. And that's something that we've, you know, we're learning more and more. But when we, when you give people, there's a time to be compassionate, but when you give people something for nothing, and again, there's a time to do that and whatnot, but if they just start depending on that, that's when you start enabling destruction rather than how can we get you back on your feet and so forth, rather than just, you know, handouts and so forth. That's why, uh, you know, the um, welfare state and what, you know, is destructive in a lot of ways. It's compassion, but it's actually harmful. It can enable people. And so too can happen with this lockdown. Where we're just saying, here, you stay here and we'll give you money and we'll, you know, other people can work and, and you know, generate the money for you. So that's kind of my understanding of what he was saying. But yes, we can absolutely be enabling people in the wrong ways by just giving them something. But we're designed to work. If we're up and able to do things, that's how. That's when we thrive. That's when we have the sense of fulfillment. That's when we're productive, when we're loving other people rather than just sequestered and, and told not to do anything. The, uh, the idea of the bigger the government, the smaller the citizen as you increase the size of the government, the burden on the citizen themselves and their freedoms are reduced because the burden of the taxation of the government and government doesn't do a good job. You, you put something through the, the meat grinder of government and the inefficiencies are overwhelming in the fraud. And so let us leave us alone and let us operate where we would, we would it was GK Chesterton who said, the government's happy to take care of the single mother. The government's happy to take care of the single father. The government's happy to take care of the orphan, the child, even the grandparent. But the government is not interested in taking care of the family as a whole. Because they can only grow larger if the family unit is redefined. Right. As, as the, the family falls apart, the government is needed more. And this is that's classic enabling, right? And a lot of people... The, well, they, the... the the Hegelian dialectic, I'm sorry, where, where they create a problem and, and then the solution is half as bad as the problem and so it expands government's reach is what you're alluding to. That right, and as well as, you know, when people just on a personal level, when, you know, I talk to people in counseling and they need to be needed. So they're always doing, you know, something for that person and they create this ugly, harmful relationship and it 
maybe on the outside it looks like it's compassion and they're they're always doing something for that person but then that person doesn't learn certain things they're not able to strengthen themselves and so forth and that's why you know enabling destruction you're empowering destruction it's counterintuitive but that often happens very common in fact it's more and more uh happening more and more in our society uh, this this next question is kind of a crack up to me because you and I hold to a theology where when when you hear this question we're both going to kind of snicker at it. it. It strikes me as very hyper Calvinistic, but their comment is, "How can you be certain that recent events aren't according to God's plan?" I mean, He is completely sovereign, Mark. Right, and so you know it's interesting, and you know when we could go back, whatever how many presidents you want to go back to, and there's at least one chunk of this is just illustrative one chunk of big chunk of society is going what are you doing god this is horrible how do you let this person get elected and so forth and and god does allow as again an illustrative uh bad people to be in in uh authority or presidents and you know king nebuchadnezzar you know decimating uh israel and all that kind of stuff for reasons and you know you have talked a lot about and other people about abortion is this you know we're reaping what we've sown or and god doesn't necessarily work exactly that way or again just if we're talking about well god's sovereign and let's just suck it up and we just go along rather no we, there's things we can do can and should do yeah it, uh god is sovereign and god was sovereign uh during slavery he was sovereign during the holocaust he was sovereign during the abuse of child labor. He was sovereign when women had to go through women's suffrage. He, he's been sovereign all along, and, and he gives man responsibility. And there's judgment when you don't operate according to the laws of nature and nature's God. And to sit back and say, well, God's in control, and this is according to his plan, as though es- the, the eschatologic, eschatological, eschatological, I always get it wrong, but the end time study, uh, as, as though, well, it's pre-trib, pre-millennial, the rapture's coming, we can't stave this off, we can't stop it. That, that is an excuse for apathy and inactivity. All of us have a role to play and all will be held accountable. Jesus said, occupy until I come. I don't know. I, maybe I'm reading more into the question, but I'm trying to give it fair. Right. Theory. And again, you know, it's a valid thing as far as God is sovereign. And that's something, you know, just on a personal level, when I, a lot of counseling is done with people trying to understand suffering. And the, the very understandable question, how can a good God allow such a bad thing to happen personally or societally or worldwide? It's a valid question, but we want to understand God's character. And he does allow bad things to happen. He does allow these things for a purpose. And I think your sermon on Sunday was the thorn in the flesh and i i have a thing like you know i call it the thorn in the flesh syndrome that there's a lot of things going on there that god is actively working on it's not just going oh you have this problem let me solve it for you that's not how he can he does sometimes but he has a different agenda than we do and if we just think he's there to to give us you know this wonderful utopia here on earth i i we're in for a hard life yeah i I love how you describe that that there's, there's many facets to what we see as a, a main problem, and we're crying out to God because of the pain. But associated with all of that is a greater purpose of the Lord, that He's using these things together for good with those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And it's kind of the Absolutely. economy of God's grace. And right, and back to uh, step one in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9, I keep going to that, but 
you know, the, the, the next section, he says, you know, we were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our health, hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But here's the kicker. And I think this goes with every suffering. But this happened, and I love it when it says, this is why it happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God Amen. who raised the dead. And so God's constantly working on us to depend more on him rather than ourselves or on the government or on people too much or on things, this world, depend on him. And he's always working on that. That's a good word. All right, let's, uh, let's see if we can tackle this one. My mom and I are believers. My father is not. My father has dementia. Mom and I are really struggling dealing with his verbally mean tantrums. We don't want our emotions to give the enemy ammunition in the situation, but can you advise what to help encourage her and I? Um, so he's got dementia. He goes through tantrums. He gets upset. And I, I, I've got uh, a thought, but if you wanted to go first. You know, I have some thoughts too, but you, you, you're not dementia, but Alzheimer's for your dad, and I don't, you know, maybe apples and oranges, but you have some probably some good insight on that, but I'd love to share too. Well, I, I, my, mine will be real simple, I, and I don't know if it'll apply to the folks who asked the question. Uh, my, my dad was 15 years with Alzheimer's, and the last trip we ever took, we flew to Europe. Uh, it was a gift that someone had given for my mom and my dad, and my wife and I and my daughter had, had gone along to help assist my mother because my dad was uh, midway through dementia, and this would be the last trip he'd take. And we were on the flight going over to Europe, and he, he got up, and he was agitated because my mother was complaining about her seat, and all he knew is he was supposed to take care of her. And he's exhausted. He doesn't know where he is. Uh, he's just overwhelmed. My mom finally falls asleep. My dad gets up, and he says, I want to get off. And very uncharacteristic of my father, he begins to cuss. He wasn't, you know my dad, he, he wasn't a man who cussed. And he is just going off with words I've never really heard leave his mouth and, and telling me to open the door so he can leave. And, and everyone's sound asleep on this international flight. He's making a scene, and, and, I, and I've never seen him like this. And, I, you know, the, the Bible says... That, that if any man lacks wisdom, all he need but do is ask of God. God will give freely to him who asks. So I would say to uh, this, this mom and child that uh, I asked the Lord for wisdom. And the first thing he said to me was, tell your dad what a wonderful father he is. And I said, Dad, I, I, I want to tell you something. I, I want to tell you what a great dad you've been. And I just started talking to him. And he goes, are you my son? And I said, yes. And you've you just been a wonderful father. And I start talking to him. And he comes over and he finally sits down. And I just start telling him about stories uh, about my life with him. And he fell asleep. And, and all I can tell you is I don't know how to answer their question specifically because I'm not in their circumstance, nor do I know what triggers the tantrums for this man. But I do know God knows. And the one thing I did was ask for wisdom, and God gave that to me. So I'd, I'd encourage him to do that. What's your thoughts, Mark? That's great. That's a great story. And as well as, you know, going to God and asking for, for wisdom and, 
and what you did too. And and so one of the things I would say, as always in situations like this, we want to always, what, what part of this do I control? And we want to focus on that, not the parts that we don't control. When we focused on that too much, then that's going to drive us and make us miserable, hopeless. But uh, but either way, we acknowledge this. That's really a really difficult situation, as you know. And that's why I asked you to go first on that because it's just painful, as you know, the, to go through that. But also, it, this is easier said than done. As parents, we you know, this is something we can try not to take it personally. You know, if a two-year-old's going, "You're a big meanie," and you know, we cry over that, then that's you know more on us. But and I'm not trying to diminish that, but we want to, as much as possible, try not to, it's, even though it's your father or your, your uh, husband, that's hard, but as much as possible. And another, two other things real quick, I would think proactive and reactive, along the lines of what you said. How can you proactively talk to him, encourage him, and make him feel comfortable or uh, diffuse this ahead of time, as well as have some things in mind that you know how to respond when he does that? It doesn't mean... The, the, all that you said, I said, it doesn't mean that these things are going to work. A lot of times people, we, we all want, what is going to work here? And it, we, don't always, we don't always have that. That's what, to, the, to, to the point of the thorn in the flesh. He prayed three times and God didn't say, okay, you did this and this, now I'm going to take it. He just said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made yeah. perfect in weakness. And then he goes on, therefore I will boast all the more gladly. But So he, was, he shifted over to that agenda of God's and he was working with that, not just trying to solve that problem. He's going, okay, this, and by the way, he didn't say this is going to be with you forever. He didn't say this is going to be done in six weeks. It was indefinite. That yeah. helps us to go, wow, yeah. I need faith. I need to walk this by faith, not just go, I'll just suck it up for a little while, then it'll be over. I love when you were sharing out of Corinthians that the, the, the reason for this is that we would draw closer to God. And, and he allows these things that, that, that we would be dependent upon the Lord and I can say to this mother and child, the, the dementia of my father drew me closer to the Lord for answers as to how to minister to not just him, but my mother. And, and then what you shared about uh, trying to figure out those things in advance that would be of great help and, and, and to apply those. And then the best thing, and this is so true, and I can't say this from experience, they're going to say things to you that their mind has no idea what they're processing and saying. It, it, let it go. It's water off a duck's back. They love you. Reflect back on all the things they've done and how they've blessed your life. And whatever they're saying, it's not them. It's, it's the disconnect of the synapses and all these other things. Give them some grace and, and don't take that personal. That They're not upset with you. Just relax. That's a good word, Mark. Oh, no, you you said it well, and and again, it drives us to grace. All the more we need grace. It's like, okay, God, I need your grace, and I, I go to that every time I'm in pain, physically or otherwise. I'm like, okay, God, your grace is sufficient, and it's just a reminder that we all need. Easier said than done, and you know, I, I feel for these people, but there are some things you can do you can't necessarily solve. All right, we got two more here. Uh, a friend asked me today if there were spiritually positive stories coming out of the past year. Personally, I've seen more believers asking tough questions about their faith. This is true. Are either of you seeing ways that the kingdom of God has been advancing in the past year? I'll just, I'll just say straight out, uh, in less than three months, we did two baptisms. The first baptism, we had 87 people come up. I mean, our church five months ago had 400 people on a good Sunday. And now we've, in, we've grown 300, 400 percent. 
we, we, we do a Sunday morning baptism and 87 people get baptized. People came in their street clothes not expecting to be baptized, come to Christ and get baptized, and they leave wet. They didn't even have a change of clothes or a towel, although we provided them. We did a baptism, two, not even three months, two months and like 22 days or something later. And 97 or 93 people got baptized. A total of 180 people in less than three months have been baptized. I've never seen that. And the same thing's happening in Calvary Chapel San Jose. Churches that are open, the people who are coming to Christ, we had that sign out front of the atheist holding the sign saying, it took this, and he used an expletive, it took this bleepity bleep for this atheist to come to church. And we've had a number of folks come because their streams of liberty have dried up and they've gone upstream and they found Christ. And we have countless stories of that. And yes, people are asking the hard questions. And and Christianity is no longer superficial. The superficial side of it is being revealed for what it is. It's chaff that the wind blows away. But the folks who are standing are going deep and, and they are starting to realize that liberty is not man's idea, it's God's idea. And, and this is worth fighting for. It's, it's really exciting, at least from my vantage point. Yeah, it's this horrible, bittersweet thing. And there's all this ugliness and pure evil, whatever you want to call it. I'm not just talking about the pandemic. I'm talking the persecution, the hatred of, of, of Christians and the and as you did the thing on the vilification of Christians and, and it's going to get worse and all. But it, it's done what you've said. It's it's purified. It's purifying. It's refining the church and it's exposing the people that maybe didn't really believe or whatever. And, you know, pain, suffering, We nobody wants to go through it, but it can be a blessing and there's plenty of verses for it and whatnot. But, I, I, you know, I think at, at a minimum for you, if I could speak about you or your life, but I know for me being crushed is what brought me to the Lord. If I wasn't crushed, if, if everything worked out for me, if every, you know, this, health, money, whatever, I probably wouldn't have sought out the Lord. I, you know, I would say, okay, God, I'm, I'm good. I don't need God. I don't need this. But that's what happens. We, we often just, what, what can I do to not suffer? And I'm not saying, hey, this goes add suffering, but God uses this. And, and kind of like in Hebrews 12, we could break that down where God disciplines those he loves like a father, the son he loves. This is for our benefit. God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. And then a couple verses later, it says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So, oh, yes, it's it's bitter. It's horrible in a lot of ways, but it's actually producing good fruit given time. That's a good word. That's a good Mark, I mean, you, you and I have the, the distinct ability as friends for such a long period of time to know where we were at certain seasons. Uh, counseling you through a bad relationship, you counseling me through a bad relationship, and then looking back 56 years, and, and it's, you know, I tell people it's like sitting on a train and the person's facing you and they're looking out and they're looking forward in the direction where the train's going and life is passing by very quickly and we're sitting opposite with our back to the direction the train is traveling and we're seeing the expanse of what we've already passed. And at 56, we look back and we see the expanse. It's, it's not like it was when we were, you know, 19, 20, 21, where life is passing quickly. And, and we reflect back and we think of all those trials that you and I experienced together early on in life. And here we are, I mean, 31 years of marriage. Uh, you, and Hope, you guys have been married, what, 20? 21. 21 years. Where you, you came from a single-parent family you're an amazing dad. Your children all walk with the Lord. I mean, God, 
what, what he's done. And we've had hard seasons in our life, but he's such a good and faithful and patient teacher. And even the pain works together for good. I, even when it's self-inflicted, if it's given to the Lord, he somehow he puts it in the warp and the woof of the fabric of our life. It's any, any thoughts on that? Absolutely. And, and by the way, I guess you're saying we're old. That, that lead-in was saying we're old. I get that. Okay, thanks. I said, I said um, we're older. Older. <laughs> but yes, absolutely. And again, I, nobody likes pain, but you know, Scripture talks about how God uses this and this and that way for ultimately for our good. And not just here and now, because a lot of times we're not going to see it. And one of my favorite understandings of this is also in 2 Corinthians, by the way, it's my favorite book in case you haven't noticed, but in 2 Corinthians 4, like uh, uh, he says, for our light, he says light and momentary, but in chapter 11, they're not, he lays them out, and they're not light. But our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So whatever this is going on right now, I always take hope and I go, this is going to be a, a blessing forever. It's not going to be just for a week in the future, forever. Amen. And so Amen. it's not just, it's never meaningless unless we just kind of bury our head and try to get through it. It can be amazing fruit now and in the and in, in eternity. Yeah. Well, let's let's close with this. It seems fitting. I mean, uh, we we I was with I was with Charlie Kirk yesterday in Phoenix, and I had a chance to do uh, an interview with him to cover HR one, HR five, HR five, the Equality Act, HR one, the the Voting Act, um, and and Lord willing with. Mansion and cinema standing in opposition to lifting the filibuster. These these bills will never pass the Senate. Thank God. Uh, and this Equality Act is anything but equality. It's pro-abortion. You won't be able to work in the healthcare industry unless you perform abortions. Um, the transgender side of it and and what they're thrusting upon the American populace. This parent says, when girls go back to school they will be potentially faced with the Equality Act. What would you recommend for parents? Well, if the Equality Act passes, what I would recommend for parents, pull them out. Homeschool them. Right. There's different options, and I you know, have sympathy for people in different places. And we've, we homeschooled for, for years. Our oldest graduated all the way through homeschool. Our boys went through a public school, and then now they're in a uh, – our last two are in a Christian school in high school. But – you know, absolutely. And, uh, you know, as a, again, an illustration, maybe, you know, people, I know people that they, their kids went off to certain schools here in California, at least like Berkeley or wherever. And they came back and they lost their faith or they lost their son. They lost their daughter. There's no longer there. And at what cost? Yeah, but this is a wonderful prestigious school or whatever. And that, again, it's, it's real, but it's also illustrative. You know, sometimes, you know, to be under that. Now, also at the same time, we, you know, there is an argument and it's valid. They have to face this sometime. And if our kids were old enough and mature enough, and I think we equipped them well enough, and we knew that they, they go, that's crazy talk, rather than, huh, yeah. No, they're, they're, they're very on top of that uh, to their credit. And so we were comfortable with them. But sometimes there's some kids were like, ah, I don't think maybe this child, but not that child. So it's not necessarily one size fits all, but if it's that, egregious if it's you know my daughter going into a, a, a locker room with guys or something like that or whatever no we all have that threshold and it's a personal thing and for a lot of us it's way across that line the equality act the you know it's like the affordable care act it's you know the opposite that kind of stuff 
we all have that personal decision. And yes, you know, and homeschool is, it is what it is. And a lot of moms think, well, I could never do that. And they end up doing amazing jobs. Uh, so it's very doable. And like, I think you said last night or some other time that, you know, there's plenty of resources, you or whoever would be able to help them, at least guide them to good resources. It's very doable. It's not as overwhelming as people might think. That's true. That's true. Well, it brings us to the top of the hour, and I was thinking, let's um, let's close with a couple last thoughts. A- anything that that the Lord's put on your heart that you have experienced with some of the the, the well, I want I'd say clients, but I, I hate that term. But just this the, the the folks coming in for for hope, maybe a theme that you've been seeing, and you want to speak to it. Whatever it is, give give all the viewers. Just a final thought, some words of encouragement, whatever's on your heart. Well, there's there's different things that drive us, and I could talk about a lot of them, but one that I'll pick on is just if just a simple thing of focus. And that sounds kind of just pragmatic or, you know, even secular counselors or whatever do that or other. But, you know, Scripture's full of where we put our focus. And I use this illustration, if if we were to focus on not just the 2020, but if we were if we read an article that says the the 10 worst things that happened this past year, whatever year, and we focused on that for an hour, what would our countenance be? What would our experience be? We would be miserable, depressed, and and if we focused on a something that had the 10 best stories of the year, we and for an hour, what would we would be joyful? We would be you know tears of joy, all that kind of. Stuff. It's not that those things happened; it's that what we're focused on, and what we and we control that. And so back to that whole thing of media, when people are obsessed with media and they're looking at this and looking at that, they just become hopeless. Rather than we want to look at the things that are whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. We want to focus on those things, not just as a mental mind trick, but in our heart. And in Lamentations, Jeremiah, I'll paraphrase it, but he's looking at all these things and he says, and my soul is downcast within me. But in one verse, he says, yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. And as believers, we, there's a lot of things we can call to mind and have hope right away in one verse and it sounds crazy talk or whatever but it's true and i talk to people all the time all over the world that that's true for them and so that's one thing that some anybody listening can take away is what's in your repertoire to pull to mind and think about so that you have hope and not just again you know a, a funny skit or something like that but truth god love those things that will change your life not just get you through bad times amen amen Mark, share with the the viewers how you uh, can can be reached, uh, how they can connect with your ministry, uh, maybe your social media sites. Uh, even I, I'd love it if you wanted to promote your your wife's signs. I see one of them in the back there. Whatever you want to share, let everyone know. Because look, you you've been a precious friend most of my life, and and anyone who has a chance to connect with you and your your lovely family, they're going to be the richer for it. So. Share with everyone how they can connect with what you do and what you're about. Well, I appreciate that. Um, you know, just just make it simple. Our, our website, I think it's probably on the thing there, hopeforlifeonline.com. And and there's whatever links you want to go to. Uh, you can you can call me, text me, email me, that kind of thing. If you want, I'd love to set something up or chat or answer questions. And, and we have a lot of material that, you know, you can buy. But if you can't, glad to send it to you, at least electronically for free if people can't afford it. Glad to do that. We do that all the time. It's fine. Uh, and you could go to my wife's uh, website through that. I asked her about that. She said, oh, this, this, they can go to that. So if they if they want, she does scripture art 
and uh, you know, I'm biased, but a lot of other people say it's wonderful and all that. So at various things, uh, if you if they want to go look through that hope Inc. Uh, com, and so they can go look at that as well. So uh, that's it. This that link opens up to whatever if they want to talk to me and ask questions. Awesome. Well, Mark, thank you for blessing us tonight and being patient to answer the questions and uh, just the commentary on the events of the day. And I actually, I, I think folks would probably welcome an opportunity to have a biblical counselor, you know, uh, on a fairly regular basis where you could come in and we could let everyone know you're coming and we'll do the, the live texting and get some of their questions answered for them. I, I think it's a neat format that folks will in time really start to appreciate and uh, wait for and be excited about. So thanks for doing that tonight. No, thank you for having me. And yeah, I'd love to, you know, there's probably a lot of interesting questions that people have that, and it's just, you know, they, they're used to thinking a certain way and the, oh, this is how you think, but it's fascinating. I talk to people all the time, just that they think biblically, it's like, oh, I knew that all along, but it was like this haze over them. They, they never saw it. it was right there, but they couldn't see it. But you just kind of point them to some common things in scripture. And so, yeah, I'd love to do that. Last thing, how many books have you written? I don't know. You know, you know, a bunch of them are like booklets or whatever, but... Uh, ah, just give me an idea. I don't know. Uh, booklets and whatnot, probably 10 or 12 or something. And the latest book, that's what I was getting to. Tell them about that one. Oh, uh, Jesus Was a Social... I did have it here just because I know... Uh, not to promote it, you know, probably, I think two people no, bought you it. No, uh, you need to promote it, and that's what I'm asking you to do because you don't promote enough. So Jesus was a socialist and, you know, I, I wrote it and it was just kind of, you know, God, I think hopefully he puts it on my heart. That's why I write it. And I just want to get it out there for people. Usually people aren't interested, but at least, you know, this is a, if I could say so, if anybody has a question of, well, Jesus was a socialist and whatever, and you kind of go back and forth, this is just, and again, it's not just me, it's scripture, hundreds and hundreds of scriptures that show absolutely not, not only was he not a socialist, he, he and Christianity are the exact opposite. Yep. And if you want any kind of treaties on this or whatever, and be prepared. You know, a friend of mine, he uh, bought a bunch of them, and he wanted to give them out to friends and whatnot. And he, his sister, who's a Christian socialist, sent him a picture of just a snapshot of a, my book in her trash can. <laughs> 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 so I got that going for me, which is yeah. nice. So, Some of the so best I, advertising you've ever received. Well, so what what happens, I think, when people are confronted with this, and it's like it, they have this huge construct, and it's a lie, and if I could just say that boldly, it's just, and I could prove it. I'm not just saying it. I, I have the facts to back it up. They could go down that path, look at it, and go, huh, huh, well, wow, I, I stand corrected. Or they just chuck it, right? They just throw it away, or they, they blame shift, or they attack the messenger, or whatever. Another person did that online. My wife saw it. I didn't. Uh, that's going to happen. But if you want, if you have any questions about because it, it's coming, right? We're on this yeah. trajectory where socialism, communism, totalitarianism, whatever you want to call it, Demo uh, democratic socialism, socialism with a small s, it's coming. And Christians need to be prepared. And, you know, it's coming in smaller ways like the critical race theory uh, in schools and government workplaces. I know people that they're forced to do it at their workplace. Well, uh, and they can get that book on your website, right? Yeah, and we Good. do. We happen to have it on Amazon, but who knows with Amazon? So we uh, we have it here. They have it there if they want. But yeah. All right. Cool. Well, thanks for blessing us. I'll let you go. You got a family to care for. We'll have you back on shortly. I'm thinking maybe every other week it would be a good time, and folks would have questions to be able to ask you and 
Great job tonight. Thank you so much for everything. You bless me as always. Thank you. Thank you for doing this, having me on, but all, all the other things that you're doing as well. That's a joy. I'll catch up with you later. I'm going to read the blessing to everybody, so I'll catch up right. with you. See you, Mark. See ya. Great treasure, wonderful friend. He's been a blessing my whole life, and um, you've had the chance to hear some of the wisdom God's entrusted to him, and he, he uses it humbly. Um, he's never asked for a dime. All of the counseling he does, he does by donation and never even puts it forward. You saw him just, well, if you can afford it, great. If you can't, you can't. And I used, I used to marvel. I mean, he lived with us for a season. I used to marvel, how does this guy survive? And he's actually the one who gave me just this ability to operate by faith. And we don't pass an offering bag at the church. We don't ask for money. We just have never done it. And I would say probably one of the greatest inspirations, second only to the Lord, was my friend Mark Baker. I've seen a man live by faith. I was also moved by George Mueller of Bristol, who was in, in was responsible in the 1800s for orphanages that had budgets that would equal today millions and millions of dollars and never asked for a penny and every need was met. He went strictly to the Lord and he spent a lot of time in prayer. I can control expenses. I can't control income. That's, that's God's job. And he has always taken care of us. And so we're grateful for that. Thank you all for joining us tonight. I, I want to close with the blessing as we've been doing. Uh, this is for you from the Lord. He adores you. He loves you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. And may the Lord be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And so with that, uh, I'm heading out in the morning for uh, CNP in Florida. We're going to have uh, Seth Gruber. I know that Wednesdays is supposed to be Womb Day, but uh, Seth Gruber is going to be with us tomorrow night. And then Friday night, we have Pastor Jurgen Metesius. They're going to be great shows. you got to come in and, and take a look at them. God bless you all for subscribing. Don't forget to hit that bell. Don't forget to tell friends about it. Don't forget to, to comment. It just helps the algorithm so that they can't shut us down. And that's we want to have a platform for truth. So thanks for making that possible. God bless you all. We'll see you tomorrow night. Hey, guys. Thanks for watching. For more information, head over to VintageMcCoy.com or follow us on Instagram at The Vintage McCoy. We'll see you there.